Daniel chapter 6, verse 22 says this, My God hath sent his angel and hath shut the lion's mouths. So what are we talking about? We're talking about Daniel. Shut the lion's mouth. <clears throat> that they have not hurt me. For as much as before him, innocency was found in me. And also before thee, O king, have I done no hurt. If you would drop down to verse 25. And through 27, it says this, Then King Darius wrote unto all the people, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, said, Peace be multiplied unto you. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom men tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and steadfast forever. And his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed and his dominion shall shall be even unto the end. He delivereth and rescueth, and he worketh signs and wonders in heaven and in earth. Who hath delivered Daniel from the power of the lions? Amen. If you would go with me to to the Lord in prayer, pray for this service. Pray the Lord's touch would be on, on the rest of this service. Lord Jesus, hallelujah, Lord God. We thank you, God, for this day, Lord. We thank you, God, for the touch, God of your presence that we already feel in this house, Lord. And Lord, I just ask you today, God, I pray, God, that you would help us today, God, that you would help me today, God, to deliver your word, God. I just pray you bless the hearts of your people, God, as they receive your word today, God. Lord, feed your sheep today. Hallelujah, Lord, and let us leave this service better than we came, God. Hallelujah, Lord Jesus. And we give you the praise. We give you the glory for it in the name of Jesus. Amen, amen, amen. You may be seated. So you know we've been talking about revival. We've been talking about revival. We've been on a revival series. Of course, last week we talked about Ezra. Right? Ezra in the revival back to the Word of God. Right? Elevating the Word of God where it ought to be. Right? In our lives. We talked about... Josiah, we talked about Josiah's revival and how he had a heart towards God and the things of God. Well, this Daniel, it is believed by many that Daniel was born in the city of Jerusalem in the middle of King Josiah's revival, in the middle of King Josiah's reign. So during Judah's revival back to the word of God, we find Daniel being born, a time when they repaired the temple, when they dusted off the pages of God's law, when they tore down all the idolatry and restored and celebrated once again the Passover, the feast of the Passover. So the young Daniel was born and raised in this tremendous time of revival, in this tremendous period of revival. And knowing this, when you look at Daniel's life, when you look as he grows up as a man and and the stands that he takes against Babylon and the king of Babylon, there's no doubt, in my mind at least, that this revival probably had an impact on Daniel's life. Think about it. It is believed that Daniel lived his most formative years in the climate of a revival back to God and to the word of God. Proverbs 22.6 says this, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. So what am I saying to you? The first point of my message is this, is that we need children that are raised in revival. We need our children to be raised in revival. Church, we need a church. We need a church where our children feel the presence of God. Where the word of God is preached unadulterated. Where they feel the conviction and the power in our churches. We need revival in this church. Our kids need to be raised in revival. Oh, my little Nolan needs to see the touch of God's hand. Salvation needs to see salvation come to people. Right? We need to see miracles happen in this place. Our children need it. Our children ought to be raised in revival. Our children, but it goes beyond just the 
just a Sunday revival, right? Thank God we feel the presence of God here. Thank God that we're able to experience revival in this church. But we need revival in our homes, church. We need revival in our homes. Hallelujah. Our children need to feel the presence of God when they come and enter in the doors of our houses. Right? They need to hear mom praying on her knees in the morning and at night. They need to hear dad reading his book. Reading his book. Right? So what am I saying? I'm saying parents. Think about it. Who brought Judah revival? Who was the one that helped orchestrate Judah's revival? It was Josiah the king. Josiah the king had a personal revival right back to the word of God. And he led his country back to the word of God. But let me tell you something. What am I saying? I'm saying it's leadership. Leadership. So I'm talking to all you parents. What's going to bring revival into your home? Is when you have a personal revival. Is when you person and when you personally connect with God. When you personally get into the Word of God. When you purposely make up in your mind, I'm going to have revival in my life. And then your kids can be raised in revival. Amen. You want to give your children the best shot to make it? Then make sure they are raised in revival. Make sure they're raised in an atmosphere of revival. I'll never forget it when I, when I was, I came into the church when I was about eight or nine, I believe. I believe that's when it was. But I'll never forget this. I may have forgotten that, but I'll never forget this. I remember my mother. I remember my mother coming into the church. And it totally revolutionized her life. It changed everything. Did you hear that, church? It changed everything. Everything was changed. The way she talked, the way she lived, the, way, the things that we started to watch, the things that we listened to, it started to change everything. And I saw that as an eight- or nine-year-old boy. And I watched as my stepdad came into church. And I remember him, he used to just, just to stand in the, in, in the welcome area, and he would just kind of you know, wait for my mom. Come on. You know, let's get out of here. Come on. And I remember him standing stone cold, right, in the presence of God. But then now I see him. I'll never forget it. I, when, when he got the Holy Ghost and he began to run around the aisles of the church. Oh. Let me tell you something. It stuck with me as a child. It stuck with me as a child. I'll never forget the times hearing my mama pray. Late at night Praying. What am I saying? I'm saying our kids need that. Our kids need that. They won't forget and it will affect them the rest of their life. They need to see your revival, dad. They need to see your revival, mom. They need to see your relationship with God lived out each and every day of your life. Hallelujah. So although Daniel may have been born in Josiah's revival, unfortunately the book of Daniel starts off after the revival, King Josiah dies and the evil king Jehoiakim reigns in his place. And that's where Daniel, the book of Daniel starts. Daniel 1.1 says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem and besieged it. Of course, we've heard it last week, Babylon. Babylon was evil. Just look up Babylon in your Bible and you'll find a history of evil. <clears throat> idolatry, sorcery, abomination, Babylon was evil. Just turn to the book of Revelation and you will find written on the forehead of the harlot church, it is Babylon. See, Babylon is anti-God. It is a representation of abomination of mixing idolatry with the things of God, mixing this world with the church. In verse 2 it says, And the Lord... And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, into King Nebuchadnezzar's hand of Babylon, with part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar, which he carried into the land of Shinar, the, to the house of his God. And he brought the vessels into the treasure house of his God. And the king spake unto Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and the king's seed 
and the princes. So, of course, Babylon besieges and takes the city of Jerusalem. And in taking Jerusalem, King Nebuchadnezzar takes a portion of the population of the Jews captive, takes part of the Hebrew people captive, and marches them back into his own city, into evil Babylon. And, of course, Daniel is among the first wave of people that are led captive to Babylon. So Babylon now has a Jewish population, a small Jewish population. But here's the thing, Jews are not Babylonians. If you know anything about Jews, it's they are not Babylonians. The Hebrews were not Babylonians. See, there are principles and laws that they lived by that made them who they were. You see, being a Jew was much more than just being born into the family of Abraham. Although that was a big part of it, but it was much more than that. You see, being a Jew, it was, it was their lifestyle. It was the way they treated people. It was how they acted. It was what they wore. It was, it was how and what they worshipped. Remember, it was hero Israel. The Lord our God is one. You see, this is what made the people of God who they were. It was the principles and the commandments of God that they lived by. It was the five books of the Torah. It is what they lived by. It is, it is what made a Jew a Jew. It is what made a Jew a Jew. They lived by principles. They lived by laws. They lived by commandments from God. Well, let me ask you something, church. What makes you a Christian? What makes you a Christian? Of course, we believe that we must be born again, right, of the water and of the Spirit. Right, and then we're born into the family of God. But can I tell you something? If you're part of the family of God, it's much more than just being born in it. Is you've got to live it. Now, being born in the household of God, there's laws, there's rules, there's commandments that we live by, Right? To be Christian means to be Christ-like, meaning we talk like Christians. All right. We act like Christians. It's our lifestyle. It's the way we treat people. It's what we wear. It's who we are. It's what we worship and how we worship. Amen? See, we may live in a messed up world, but we are not of this world. Daniel may live in a messed up Babylon, but guess what? He is not a Babylonian. And we may live in a messed up, cruel world, but can I tell you something? We're not of this world, church. We are Christians. We are blood-bought. We are sanctified. We are separated. Hallelujah. We are different. Oh, oh we are different. Peculiar. Amen. We are peculiar. We are a, a peculiar people. King Nebuchadnezzar, although evil, he was not stupid. Well, well. <clears throat> See, realizing these differences, realizing that he's bringing Jews into Babylon, he has a plan to assimilate certain Jews into the Babylonian culture. Right? To take their best and use them for his kingdom. For the prosperity of his kingdom. Babylon. He has a goal to take Jews and make them Babylonians. Listen to how he does it. Daniel chapter 1 verse 3 says this. And the king spake unto Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed and of the princes, Children in whom was no blemish, but well favored and skillful in all wisdom and cunning and knowledge and understanding science, and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans or the Babylonians. So, what does he do? He takes the children, right? He takes the children of Judah. The children that have the most potential, that are, that are skillful. And he, and he wants to teach them the Babylonian language. Wants to educate them and immerse them in the Babylonian culture and in, in the literature. 
What is King Nebuchadnezzar wants these Jewish children? He wants them to talk back like Babylonians. He wants them to think like Babylonians. But he doesn't start, stop there. In Daniel chapter 1 verse 5 he says, And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years, that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. Not only does he want them to think and talk, but knowing, but he wants them to eat like Babylonians eat. But it doesn't stop there. Verse 6 says, Now among these were the children of Judah. It was Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, and unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names. For he gave unto Daniel the name of Belshazzar, and to Hananiah of Shadrach, and of Mishael of Meshach, and Azariah of Abednego. So what does he do? He takes these Hebrew names. He takes these Hebrew children. And he gives them new Babylonian names. Babylonian names. See, Babylon wants these children not only to have new names, but Babylon wants these children to have all new identities. He wants them to be totally changed from the inside out. Let me show you something. The name Daniel means God is my judge. God is my judge. The Babylonian name they gave him, Belshazzar, means Bel's prince or he whom Bel favors. Of course, Bel was the name of the principal Babylonian god. It is believed the Babylonians gave Daniel this name to impress him and to seduce him into the service of their god, Bel. Let me tell you something, church. This world has a goal. This world has a goal, and that goal is to change the people of God. That is to change the way we think, change the way we talk, to, to think like they think, to talk like they talk, to act like they talk, to act like they act. This world has a goal, and it will stop at nothing until you are totally changed, until that person you look at the mirror is not the same person you used to be. What once was God's judge, they want to make it into favor with Bell. I've heard it said before that the, this world and sin will take, it, take you farther than you ever planned on going. Take you farther than you ever planned on going. If you study a little further about King Nebuchadnezzar, he's in that one of those first verses. He, I don't know if you caught it, but it says that King Nebuchadnezzar took, he took vessels that belonged to the temple in Jerusalem and he brought them and he took them and put them in his own temple of his own God. You see, the vessels of the temple of God were sanctified, were cleansed, were given to service solely to Jehovah. Solely to Jehovah. But what does King Nebuchadnezzar do? In a wave, he takes the things, the vessels of God, and he brings them into his own temple. But listen to this, he doesn't stop there. He goes for another wave. The Bible says, if you study it, he goes for another wave and he brings more vessels from the house of God and he brings them over to his temple of his God until finally you will find in the end of it is they totally, completely destroy the house of God in Jerusalem. What am I saying? That, what am I saying? The Bible says that you are the temple of God and that the Holy Spirit dwells in you. And can I tell you, you have an enemy that is smart, that is cunning, that is deceptive, and he will stop at nothing until that temple is fully destroyed. Amen. You think you're just going to give him a part. But then he takes more, and he takes more, and he takes more until you find out it's totally destroyed. And everything that you committed to God and all the devotions that you had to God is the devil tries to steal. Oh. Listen to me, church. This world has a goal. This world has a goal for the church. Can I tell you, it's not only Jesus that, are, that is after converts. Can I tell you, hell 
is after converts. Oh, Jesus. Help us, God. Help us, God. So Babylon tries to change Daniel. King Nebuchadnezzar tries to change the Hebrew boys. But what does this Daniel do? What does this Daniel do when he's faced with all these changes, when he's inundated with the things of Babylon, when it's coming against him over and over again, when they try to change his name, when they try to give him the king's meat? What does he say? Verse 8, it says, But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. He purposed in his life. He purposed in his heart. I will not defile myself. What I've dedicated to God, I will not defile. He had a purpose in his heart. You see, Daniel was a Jew, and a Jew had strict dietary laws that came from God. And the only way Daniel could be sure that he followed his Jewish diet was to reject the king's meat and ask for something else. What am I saying? I'm saying Daniel took a stand. Daniel settled some things in his life and in his heart. He said, I will not defile myself. I may be in Babylon, and I may be surrounded by Babylonians, and they may be trying to teach me stuff, and they may try to inundate me with stuff, but can I tell you, I purposed in my heart. I will not defile myself. I won't do it. And let me tell you something, because Daniel and those three Hebrew boys did it, because they took a stand for their conviction, the Bible says that the blessing of God fell upon them. The blessing of God fell upon them. Verse 18 says this, Now at the end of the days that the king had said he should bring them in, then the prince of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king communed with them, and among them all was found none like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, therefore stood they before the king. And in all manners of wisdom and understanding that the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and all the astrologers and all them of the realm. Ten times better. What am I saying? I'm saying the blessing of God can come on a person, can come on a people that decide to take a stand and say, I will not defile myself. I will not defile myself. I won't talk like they talk. I won't act like they act. I won't do the things they do. And can I tell you, when you do that, church, when you make that stand, when you purpose in your heart, I come to tell you that the blessings of God, the blessings of God can flow in you. Let me tell you something, it's worth it. Oh. It may be hard at first, young person. It may be hard at first to stand in your high school, but can I tell you something, it's so worth it. It's so worth it. And sometimes we just see the small picture. We see our small situation. We can't see the big picture. That God wants to bless us and bring blessings in our life. I tell you, take a stand and the blessings of God will follow after you. This is what Daniel does. Oh, it's just a piece of meat, Daniel. Right? Come on, man. It's just a piece of meat. It's just the king's meat. Just eat it. Just eat it. But let me tell you something. To Daniel, it was, it was much more than that. It was his dedication. It was his convictions that came from God. It, 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 was, it, it, it was what made him who he was. It's what made him a Jew. He said, I can't do that. I can't defile myself. Let me tell you, I'm, I'm not of this world. I'm not of this world. You're not of this world. Amen. We're Christian. And let me tell you something. I will not defile myself with the things of this world. I mean, if you want revival in this city, if you want the blessing of God in your home, like I talked about in the beginning, if you want the blessings of God in the church and in the home, you have to take a stand and say, I will not defile my revival. I will not defile my revival. Oh, Jesus. You know why the presence of God is in this church? Oh, 
Because we have people that made a stand and said, I will not defile this revival. I will not defile this revival. Let me tell you, you will not have revival if you become like Babylon. God will not bless this church and God will not bless your home if you become more like the world. But the answer to a lost and dying world is not the church becoming like the world. The answer to the church, the answer to the world is the church becoming more like Jesus. The answer for your unsaved family or your friends is not you fitting in, but rather you holding on to your convictions. The answer for revival at your job or in your school is not becoming more like them, but them becoming more like you as you become more like Him. There is a blessing of revival that can come when the people of God hold on to the things of God. The presence of God can touch our services. When people purpose in their heart, they will not defile this temple. There's a blessing that comes from God when we choose to hold on to our commitments rather than caving in to the pressure around us. You see, if the church becomes like the world, then there is nowhere, no place for the world to turn to. I will not defile my revival. I will not defile my revival. But here's the thing. It's not only the blessings of God can come on your life, but when you take a stand for the things of God, as other people can, can share in that blessing. Other people, basically what I'm trying to say is when you stand for the things of God, You are teaching the world who God is. You see, the way that you live your life, the way that we act, the way that we speak, the way that we treat each other and treat others, when you take a stand for the things of God, you are showing the people around you and teaching them who your God is. Let me give you an example. A few chapters later in Daniel chapter 3, we know the story. Very common Sunday school story. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, right? And said, everybody has to bow down to this image. Everybody in my kingdom has to bow down to this image and worship the image. And if they didn't, they would be thrown into a fiery furnace. And of course... We know the three Hebrew children, they would not bow down. The music played, and they would not bow down. And listen to what they say. Daniel 3.16 says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. What does that mean? It wasn't that they were rude. It was that they already had an answer figured out. They didn't need a day to go and think about it and to go settle some things. No, they had some things already settled. Church, we need some things already settled. Oh, Right? We need to draw some lines in the sand that say, I'm not crossing. No matter what happens, no matter what comes against me, I'm not crossing here. We need to build some fences in our lives and in our homes. So it says they they were not careful to answer in the matter. They had it settled. They already had an answer for him. It says, if it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. He said, but if not, but if not, think of that. Be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. We will not, even if we don't get deliverance, We've settled things. We will not defile ourselves. And of course, we know the story. They are thrown into the furnace. And they heat up that furnace seven times hotter than before. But God delivers them. 
And of course, we know the story. There was a fourth man in the fire, right? The fourth man in the fire. And they said, what is, there's four of them in there. But now listen to what the king says. Listen to what the king says. He says, then Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, blessed be the God. Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You hear a change of tune? Blessed be the God who has sent his angel and delivered his servants that trusted in him and have changed the king's word and yielded their bodies that they might not serve nor worship any God except their own God. Therefore I make a decree that every people, nation, and language which speak anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces, and their houses shall be made a dunghill. Now listen to this. Listen to this. You looking at that? You seeing that? Because there is no other God that can deliver after this sort. There is no other God. We've never seen it like this before. Why? Because somebody took a stand for the things of God. And because they took a stand for the things of God, all of a sudden an evil king in Babylon said, I've never seen it like this before. Who is this God? There's no God like this God. There's no God that can deliver like this God. Oh, you got to understand something, church. When you stand for the Word of God, when you stand for the things of God, you are teaching the world who your God is. You are teaching them something about your God. Matter of fact, you're giving Him an opening too. Right? If they would have bowed down, they would have never known the delivering power of God. But because they took a stand, they gave God a chance. They gave God an opportunity to show His power in them. And, I can, and that's the same with you. When you take a stand, you give an opportunity for God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Can we just bless the Lord right now? Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Help us with this, God. Hallelujah. Matthew 5, 14 says this. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. He said, let your light so shine before men that they may what? That they may see your good works. That they may see the way you live your life. That they may see the way you treat people. That they may see the way you act and the way that you respond. And then what? What happens after that? That they may see your good works and... Glorify. Glorify your Father which is in heaven. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. We have a world that is watching us, that is watching the way we act, that is watching the way we talk. And let me tell you something. The way you act will determine whether or not they can give your God praise or whether or not they will give your God praise. When they see the way you live your life, they will glorify your Father in heaven, they'll say, wow. Wow. What's different about that person? Wow. They had an opportunity to gossip and they didn't gossip. Why? Oh, it must be their God. It must be the God that they serve. It must be the convictions that they hold in the Word of God. Praise God there's more people like that. Praise God there's people like that. Oh, Hallelujah. Let me say it another, another way. The way you live your life will determine whether or not the people around you decide to give glory to your God. Oh. Did you hear that? The way you live your life will determine whether or not people around you decide to give glory to your God. So don't defile your revival. The world is watching you and you're teaching the world something by the way you live your life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 1 Peter 2.12 says this, Having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. The NLT says it like this, Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. 
Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. Oh. You know what this world needs? It needs Jesus, amen. But you know what this world needs? It needs Christians that act like Christians. <laughs> it needs Christians that are Christ-like. Oh. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You want to bring revival to the people around you. You have to make it up in your mind. You have to settle it and purpose it in your heart. I will not defile my revival. I will not change who I am. Hallelujah. I will not change myself to appease a world. Hallelujah. Daniel chapter 6. It says this, And the presidents and the princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom. Right, of course, we're talking, this is the story, right? Daniel in the lion's den. They try to find an occasion. They try to find a fault, right? It says, but they could find no occasion nor fault. For as much as he was faithful, neither was there any error or fault in him. Then said these men, we shall not find any occasion against this Daniel, except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. They came to the conclusion that there was no fault in Daniel. He was doing nothing wrong. And the only way they would find something wrong with Daniel is if they made a law against his God's law. And so what do they do? They convinced the king to make a law and said, that said no one could pray for 30 days unless they were praying to the king. Unless they were praying to the king. Daniel 6 and 10 says this, Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house, and his windows being opened in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. Did this stop the man of God? Did this stop Daniel from praying? Of course not. He kept doing what he always did. He kept doing what he always did. He got on his knees again and prayed. The Bible says is that he opened his window, right? And he faced towards Jerusalem and prayed to God like he always prayed to God. Of course, these evil men then finding Daniel praying, they tell, tell the king. And they end up taking Daniel and they throw him in a den full of hungry lions. And Daniel 6, 17 says, And a stone was brought and laid upon the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that the purpose might not be changed concerning Daniel. What did they do? Is they threw him in a lion's den and they took a big old stone and they rolled it over the opening, sealing his fate, so they thought. And the Bible says that in the morning the king came to the lion's den. And he must have had, he must have had to roll away that big old stone, right? He must have rolled away the stone. And the king calls down to Daniel and he says in verse 20, he says, And when he came to the den, he cried with a lamented voice unto Daniel. And the king spake and said to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, is thy God whom thou servest continually able to deliver thee from the lion's den? The king looks at Daniel and says, Is the God that you serve? Is the God that you serve, what he, was he able to deliver you from the lion's den? Now listen to what Daniel says about his deliverance. Listen to what Daniel says about his deliverance. He says, my God has sent his angel and has shut the lion's mouth and they have not hurt me. For as much as before him, innocency was found in me and also before thee, O king, have I done no hurt? Why did God send Daniel an angel to shut up the lion's mouths? Why did he deliver him out of the mouths of the lions? Daniel said it was because before God, innocency was found in me. Why did God deliver Daniel from a lion's den? Because he was found innocent. 
he was found innocent. See, one man's innocence brought, one man's innocence brought him deliverance. Brought him deliverance. It was the, Daniel's innocency that delivered him out of the lion's den. Daniel received deliverance because he would not defile himself. Because he would not defile himself and do what, what the king dec- uh, commanded. He would not bow down his knees and pray to a king. Innocency was found in him. But now listen to what the king says. Listen to what the king says. Then King Darius wrote unto all the people. Did you hear that? He wrote unto all the people, all the nations, all the languages that dwell in all the earth. He said, peace be multiplied unto you. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom, men tremble in fear before the God of Daniel. Did you catch that? That every man tremble in fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and steadfast forever. And his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed and his dominion shall be even unto the end. He delivereth and rescueth and he worketh signs and wonders in the heaven and in the earth. Who hath delivered Daniel from the power of the lion's den? Did you catch what I'm trying to say here today? This is the main point, one of the main points of my message. One man's innocence brought the message of God to the entire world. He said, all nations, I make a decree, all nations. Because Daniel was innocent and, and and because God delivered Daniel because of his innocence, the king said, I'm going to declare this thing amongst all the nations, languages. There is a God. Daniel has a God. Oh. You see, there was another one. There was another one that was put in the grave. And they took a big stone and they rolled it in front of it, thinking that was it. Thinking that was it. But what caused, what caused Jesus Christ to be raised from the dead? What caused him to have the victory was because there was innocence found in him. Oh. Because he was the spotless lamb of God. And because Jesus Christ was the spotless lamb of God, he brought salvation to all men. Let me tell you something. You don't think holiness matters. It matters. Oh, you don't think the way you live matters. It matters, church. We have a world that is watching us. A world that is watching us, watching the way we act. And when we take a stand for God, we are telling the world who our God is. We are declaring His gospel. Hallelujah. See, if you want this message proclaimed in this city, if you want this message proclaimed to all your lost loved ones, we need to take a stand against this world and the inundation of this world, and we, and we need to say, you will not defile our revival. You will not defile our revival. Yeah. Hebrews 12, 14. It's actually Brother Merrick that showed me this. Hebrews 12, 14 says this, Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. No man shall see the Lord. I believe there's, there's a possible dual meaning in this. That yes, we understand that if the church is not holy, we're not going to see God, right? We're not going to make it. But the other meaning, I believe, in this verse is that if we, are, if we don't live holiness, if we are not godly, nobody else will see God either. See, if I don't follow after holiness, those around me will not see him either. The people at your work, the people that you come across in the store, the people you come across in public at your school, the only God some of them will ever be able to see is the godliness and the holiness you live before them day after day after day. So what am I saying, church? I'm saying this. Let the the world see God 
in you. By the way that you live your life, let the world see God in you. Personally, I believe when we live the way that God wants us to live, I believe we give the people in this world hope. Why? Because they see you and they say, I know what he used to be. Oh, I know what he used to be. Now all of a sudden he's got standards. Now all of a sudden he's living by conviction. Now all of a sudden he's not going to the places that he used to go. What, what they see is they see hope. That if they can make it, if God can change their life, he could probably change mine. You see, you're the light of the world. My last point is this. What was it about Daniel? How was this man able to stand and reject the king's meat? How was he able to face a lion's den? What was in him? Sometimes we look at these Old Testament characters and, and even biblical characters in general and we say, man, they're just different. We think that almost that they're not human. But can I tell you, Daniel was a human. But what made him different? How does a young Hebrew stand firm against the, the great evils of Babylon? How does Daniel remain dedicated when all the people around him are giving up and giving in? I believe you can find it. We've already read the verse. In Daniel 6.10, he says, Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house, and his windows being opened in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day, and he prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did before. See, I believe it had little to do with who Daniel was, but it had a lot to do with the God that Daniel was connected to. Yeah. said three times a day, Daniel got on his knees before God. Three times a day, he got connected to God. You know what that tells me? The secret source of his strength was not his personal ambition. It was not his personality. It was not his own personal inner drive, I believe, but the secret source of his strength was his connection with God. He received his strength to stand from God. Let me ask you this. How much better of a person would you be if you prayed three times a day? If you really got connected to God three times a day? And I'm saying I, I'm guilty of it too. I'm asking myself the same question. How much better, how much firmer, how much stronger would I be if I realized where my strength comes and three times a day I got connected. I got connected to God. See, I believe Daniel understood something. If I'm going to make it in this evil place called Babylon, if I'm going to make it in this world, I've got to get God. I've got to get connected to God. How was Jesus able to live in a messed up world? How was Jesus able to have victory over his flesh? John 5, 19, NLT says this. So Jesus explained, I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the father doing. Whatever the father does, the son also does. John 14, 10 says, Believest thou not that I am in the father and the father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself. For the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. How was he able to remain sinless? Is that flesh had a connection to the Father. He had a connection to the Father. If we could all stand. So the question goes to us. That's a great, great thought, Trevor. Yeah, take a stand, right? Take a stand. Easier said than done sometimes. If I could be honest with you. Easier said than done. But one of the greatest lessons I ever learned in my life, one of the greatest lessons I ever learned in my life is when I realized, Trevor, you need help. Trevor, you need help. See, I can't do it on my own power. I can't do it in my own strength. 
And I hate to say this, but you know how I found out as I kept falling over and over and over again. And I realized the scripture, oh wretched man that I am, who shall save me? You see, I realized something, something had had to change. I needed to get a prayer life. I need to get connection, connected with God. I needed a relationship with God, a consistent relationship with God. I needed to talk to my God. And I tell you, that's what's going to help you. That's what's going to give you the strength. Is when we connect with God. It's when we connect with God, church. I'll never forget it. I was a high school student. See, my mom took me out of high school when I was in ninth grade because I could not take a stand. I couldn't. I couldn't take a stand. I wasn't, I wasn't, I just wasn't, I didn't have the power in me, didn't have the strength in me at that time. But she took me out of school and for two years, God found me and I developed a prayer life. I remember reading the word of God and just studying the word of God and, and God got a hold of my life. And so I went back to high school in 11th grade. Different different but can I tell you it was not easy and sometimes it's not easy living in this world I remember being in pep rallies you know pep rallies you did in high school right everybody all the students there right cheering for the for the team I remember sitting in pep rallies with a a gymnasium full of students feeling all alone because there was nobody else like me. I didn't have those connections with these students because they weren't like me. But I remember what gave me the strength is on my lunch break I would get in my car and I would go to a parking lot and I would turn on some worship music and I would just get connected with God and that's what kept me day after day after day after day after day. My message is pretty simple. Let God change you so that you can change the world. Let God change you in your personal devotion time so that you can step in a hostile environment and change it and shine. I'm done. We want revival, right? Oh, we want revival we want revival, then stand, church. Stand for what's right. Stand for what's right, church. Hallelujah.